But it's never too late to talk about football. We got that, right? We know that's true. All right, uh, join us now, our very good friend, who is, uh, we're giving him a break, you know, during the offseason, but, you know, still, we can't get enough of Trevor Maddich for, we got Trevor-isms and, you know, all those things we just, we just can't stay away from. So, why not bring Trevor Maddich in, since today is the franchise tag day, we'll dig into that, the NFL Combine, and uh, why not, a little March Madness with Trevor Maddich. What's going on, brother? Mr. T.C., I am doing great, although I'm I'm recovering from BYU losing to St. Mary's in the West Coast Conference tournament. Oh, they they went down by 26 points and then they came back in a furious comeback, but they just couldn't pull it off at the end. But man, that was a game. Trevor, I was there. I was amongst those those uh, those Cougar maniacs. Uh, they were loud and proud, and they had outnumbered St. Mary's from a, a fan standpoint. Uh, yeah, they were going crazy. They're going ballistic. You know, the thing was. That was a very physical game. There was, I think, four flagrant fouls in that game. I think two by each team uh, last night. But, uh, yeah, Cougars, um, you know, couldn't pull it off. And, you know, Trevor, this is kind of a weird tournament this year because, as you know, uh, BYU is leaving the WCC. And uh, I'm, it's just kind of a weird feeling not knowing that, you know, knowing that we're not going to see these rabid fans come to Vegas for this tournament uh anymore uh but uh yeah I, i'm not sure how i how i feel about them leaving the wcc because i think they added a lot to the conference it is a passionate fan base but i think from a standpoint of the city at large your alcohol sales will likely go way up yeah <laughs> this is true yeah they they weren't they weren't hovering around the bars i i, I did notice that no no question yeah they better not be anyway i think it would be a false flag with the university of utah fans fans wearing a byu t-shirt at the bar just to make BYU look bad. That's that's what I believe. Yeah, I think we talked uh, about this before when the Notre Dame came here to play uh, BYU. Remember the Shamrock uh, game, you know, earlier this year, and you know how they do just kind of like bowl games, where one half of of the building is is like the BYU side, and the other was kind of like the Notre Dame side. They said there were like no lines at the bar areas and the restaurant areas over there on the BYU side <laughs> compared to the Notre Dame side. Notre Dame side, they said it was ridiculous. Notre Dame fans were telling me that they walked all the way around the stadium so they could get their beer uh, without any weight whatsoever. And Notre Dame won that game, right? They did. They did. So what does that tell you about the relationship to from adult beverages to winning Football games. If they go I hand in hand, it sounds like to me. Yeah, I think it's yeah, they go. <laughs> I hope it's not that way in the Big 12 because that's where BYU is playing next year. So, How do you feel about them going to the Big 12? Because, I mean, obviously from a football standpoint, it's great. But I think from a basketball standpoint uh, as well, I mean, it's a, it's a big win for them. As in, in football, I mean, they were an independent before. I don't know how you feel about it, Trevor, but it just didn't seem like it really worked out the way they thought it was going to work out. It is, uh, well, it, being independent, though, really helped BYU because they were able to play teams that they never would have been able to play all over the country. I mean, Wisconsin, Oklahoma, you know, you go play teams in Florida. There's just out to Virginia. And it got the BYU brand out in front of people that wouldn't have been able to see it necessarily face-to-face. And that's important because of the LDS connection as much as anything else. I mean, it's the best if the best LDS football players coming out of high school went to BYU, BYU would be a top six or seven team every year. 
uh, certainly a top 10 team every year. But they don't really know BYU. They didn't in the past until BYU became independent and were able to go out and meet some of these guys um, because some of them just didn't give BYU a chance of recruiting because they were being recruited by Alabama and Georgia and Ohio State, and they didn't make it that far out west. So it helped BYU from a recruiting standpoint to get out there. And some of those teams that they played, they beat. I mean, they um, they, they knocked off Wisconsin at Wisconsin. They knocked off the mighty Oklahoma Sooners in uh, Arlington, Texas, in the season opener. It was just a brutally physical game, and BYU beat the mighty Sooners at their own game. Uh, I mean, these these clean-cut, married, return missionaries went down there and and won an alley fight with the mighty Oklahoma Sooners. It was just it was fantastic to watch if you're a BYU fan, and it was uh, and so these things I think helped solidify BYU as a worthy candidate for a higher level of competition than the group of five, not to disparage the group of five. The thing is though, their schedule, goodness gracious, is their schedule going to be, is going to be brutal. Um, I mean, they're at Arkansas, at Kansas, who's resurgent. They have Cincinnati at TCU, you know, at Texas with either Quinn Ewers or Arch Manning at quarterback, for goodness sake, you know, they've got to play uh, Iowa state and Oklahoma in Provo. You know, it's, it's, it's a brutal schedule. But as long as BYU is able to to stay relatively healthy, they should be relatively competitive this first year, and then we'll see what it does for recruiting going forward. Speaking like a true BYU alum, there you go, Trevor Maddich, uh, national championship, Trevor Maddich for those BYU team. What nineteen eighty four. Right. Yeah, that was back before I was born. TC, I, I don't even remember playing in that game, but they told me I did. Uh, you did. Yeah. We, we, there, there's video of it. We've, we've seen it, my, my friend. Yeah. I, I know you have. Yep. The NFL combine, uh, just concluded. Uh, did you get a chance to watch much of that? Are you into the combine? Yeah. I got to see, I got to see some of that. I was looking for specific players. Uh, and, you know, I wasn't that I was looking at the whole thing and grading all 319 of them, but there were certain guys that I was looking at that I kind of wanted to see how they performed. Guys that I, I thought uh, would either confirm what I thought about them from college uh, or either rise or fall. And so I, I, I found guys like that uh, and on the, all three of those levels in watching the, the combine the way I did. How necessary is it for players to go to the combine. And the reason why I ask is because we hear a lot of players say, well, nah, I, I don't, I don't, you know, my stock is, is perfect where it is right now. I don't want my stock to drop. Or maybe like, if you're a quarterback, well, I really don't need to throw. I'll do my pro day. How important is it for these players to go? Well, for some of them, it's critical. For others, not so much. I mean, when you look at Bryce Young, for example, quarterback for Alabama. What he put on tape the last two years, winning the Heisman Trophy two years ago, and probably even playing better this last year, although his stats weren't as good, that's because of the team around him. The, what he did on tape was unimpeachable. And throwing at the combine, or even his pro day, really wouldn't, wouldn't do much, I think. What he needed to show was that he gained a little bit of weight, and he did. He came in at uh, 5'10 and an 8, so he's over 5'10, yay, and 204 pounds. And as long as people thought he would come in under 200 pounds, I think he played under 200 pounds at Alabama, but he picked up some weight. So that's good. And he got to do the medicals where the, the, the team physicians and trainers were able to kind of look at him, look at his hips. He's kind of a slight guy. He's not real solidly built, but he was able to stand up to the SEC 
quite well for two years, although he did miss some time last year. That was really more, again, the people around him than it was him being injury-prone. But he didn't need to throw. He didn't. The guy who did need to throw was Will Levis out of Kentucky because Levis is built like a brick house, man. He's just chiseled out of granite. He's tall. He's thick. He's athletic. He's got a rocket for an arm. Problem is, last year his production went way down from the standpoint of accuracy and effectiveness, way, way down. So the question is, is that because his his year two years ago uh, was sort of an anomaly with those NFL players that were around him, uh, or was was is he really just not that accurate? And so his being able to, to do two things at this combine were important to him. One was the interview process, where he could convince NFL coaches that he's got a feel and an understanding for defensive concepts, offensive concepts too, but especially defensive concepts. A lot of quarterbacks come out of college don't have much of an idea what defenses are doing, and that means the learning curve is going to be far steeper in the NFL. The other thing that Will Levis of Kentucky quarterback needed to show in this combine was more precision and consistency with his accuracy. Well, I don't know what happened in the meetings, but I do know that he didn't throw all that well. He showed a really strong arm, yay, but he was he was sporadic with his accuracy, so he didn't help himself from that standpoint. Now, had he not come to the to the combine to throw, let's say he didn't throw this pro day either, the NFL scouts would be left to wonder if the fact that his performance diminished so much this past season was really truly a matter of the people around him or if he was at fault also because he didn't do enough to elevate the performance of the people around him. He needed the combine to show that it really was the people around him, and I don't think he showed it very well. Bryce Young seems to be the top quarterback. Then there's C.J. Stroud, and you mentioned Will Levis. Talk a little bit about Young and Stroud. Do you think that even one of these guys – could I don't want to say the word sure fire, but could they be quality NFL quarterbacks? Young and Stroud, Stroud I think has the best chance to to have a strong career, a long term strong career. I mean, he was lights out on his accuracy, one of the most accurate, consistently accurate performances at the combine that we've seen in several years. Part of that too, he was throwing to Jackson Smith and Jigba, who is. Uh, a guy that he's thrown to a lot at Ohio State on his past season, not so much because Njigba was was injured. But, you know, he, he had a little bit of familiarity with that receiver, so that, that helped him. But he's got the size and the accuracy and enough mobility to, if his temperament is okay, he should be able to, to transition to the NFL pretty well. Bryce Young has a chance to be a phenomenal NFL quarterback, but it's the size issue and it's the the health issue. Tua Tagovailoa, former Alabama quarterback who's now with the Miami Dolphins, is actually thicker in his body than Bryce Young. But Tagovailoa has a knack for falling in a way that he falls onto his back with the back of his head smashing into the ground a lot, and he's suffered a number of concussions now with the Dolphins, and that has put his career in jeopardy. And so uh, you look at other smaller quarterbacks and how have they done? Kyler Murray, you know, his size, I don't think, is what holds him back. And so you can, you can say, you know, Drew Brees is a lot is taller than Bryce Young, but 
but Drew Brees also was small relative to other quarterbacks, and his size didn't hold him back. I think Bryce Young has shown in the SEC that he's able to find those gaps between the big giant linemen and anticipation of throwing downfield and the vision to be able to know what's happening down there, even though he's only 5'10 and an 8, that that shouldn't hold back NFL teams from drafting him high. The only question for Bryce Young is, do they believe that he can stay healthy at the NFL level? And I would suggest this. We talked about Will Levis of Kentucky. I don't think Will Levis did enough this last year to elevate um, a group of players around him that weren't as good as they were the year before. Bryce Young was the opposite. Bryce Young had a group of players, especially at receiver, that were not nearly as good as they were the year before when he won the Heisman, and he elevated that team anyway. I mean, Alabama lost two games, both of them on walk-off plays at the end of the game at LSU, at Tennessee, and it, neither one of them was Bryce Young's fault. If it weren't for Bryce Young, they wouldn't have been even that close. And so, you know, I think I think Bryce Young um, has a chance to be a very good quarterback if he can stay healthy. Uh, Trevor Mass joins us talking about the NFL scouting combine just uh, concluded. Who who shot their way up the draft board, regardless of position? Give give us a, a guy or two that that really maybe turned some heads. Okay, so. You want to talk about Anthony Richardson at some point down the road, or uh... do we? I mean, you and I, we we don't like Anthony Richardson, and I'm tired of, of like even Raider fans thinking like, oh, Anthony Richardson, he could be a good one. Have you watched the guy play? Forget about it. I mean, I'm a Bryce Young guy, C.J. Stroud, okay, Will Levis, no guy got sacked too many times. I understand offensive line, this and that, but come on, you 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 know, to play in this league, you're gonna have to be special. Like, I want that special guy. Is Anthony Richardson special, Trevor Maddich? No, right. No, uh, Anthony Richardson. He's Are you going to tell me? Do you have something to tell me here? Am I missing yeah, something? I do. What happened here? He, you brought Anthony Richardson up, so you must have some breaking news. Well, he's being linked to the Raiders at number seven. Oh, come on, come on. I, I mean, I mean, does your does your intel, does your does your matahari of of football? inside the Raiders organization tell you that they're interested? I mean, what do you know? Well, everything is quiet on the Western front. I think, wasn't that part of a movie? It wasn't a movie, you know, back in, you know, your day. I don't know, but, uh, no, stay away from, <laughs> stay away from the quarterbacks, Trevor. The Raiders need to stay away from the quarterback and get yourself something that you need either on the O line or, or on defense at number seven. Please do that. If you're the Raiders, not a project like Anthony Richardson, and you're probably better suited for taking Jared Stidham. You got him here. Let him go. Go with Stidham. Build around him. Now, now you, uh, you laid it out the way I see it. But for people who still aren't convinced, Anthony Richardson, you know, he came in at 244 pounds as a quarterback. He ran a 4-4-3-40. His broad jump and his vertical were off the charts. He showed amazing arm strength and throwing, and he's got scouts salivating about his potential upside. He probably has the, the highest upside of any of the quarterbacks in this draft if he hits on all cylinders and he fixes some of his deficiencies. The problem is, he still didn't throw very well. That's that's he what I was going to ask you right there. I mean, you can say the all out of bounds. Yeah, come on. Come <laughs> at the combine, he's throwing the ball out of bounds. Come on. And then, yeah, no. And then when you look at um, how he performed, he had some really big games, 400-yard passing games in Florida. We had a whole bunch of them that were under 200. You know, he was he was like 150 yards passing against USF. I mean, he 
Uh, he, there's just all kinds of, of inconsistency, and he's got a very strong arm. I would take Anthony Richardson in the first round under one condition, and that is if they bring him in considering that he will be their backup quarterback for the foreseeable future and then use him like the Saints use Taysom Hill. Taysom Hill, the Saints have, he's their backup. He's not their starter. They don't want him to be the starter. He's not that guy. But while when he's not working at quarterback, they put him in at H-back and fullback and wide receiver and special teams. And you've got sub-packages on short yards and goal line at quarterback. And that's the kind of thing that Anthony Richardson should be able to do at an extraordinarily high level because of his physical traits. Then he would be a first-round talent from the standpoint of elevating the production on the team if they used him that way, if he was able to pick up all those positions, and then let him develop as a quarterback. And if he turns out in a couple, three years that he's got all those deficiencies fixed, then make him a quarterback full-time and you got to steal. But if he doesn't, keep using him as Taysom Hill and he still makes your team better. Now, Raiders, though. Raiders. Okay, Raiders. Yes. The most intriguing thing for the Raiders at number seven right now is Georgia defensive tackle Jalen Carter. Do you want to remind people the story of Carter and what happened? Or do you want me to tell them? Oh, uh, go ahead. Yeah, we talked about it last okay. week. Fire away. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, he got in trouble. He apparently shortly after the Georgia um, national championship victory parade, he was, according to police, drag racing with another vehicle that had some Georgia personnel and players and stuff being driven by uh, uh, one of the scouting department. And that scouting department person, uh, according to police, had a blood alcohol level over twice the legal limit. That vehicle crashed and killed two people, the driver and then one of the Georgia players. Jalen Carter, according to police, was in the area drag racing with them. And he now is associated with the ugliness of two young people having their life snuffed out in a moment of, of very poor decision-making. But he's been charged with misdemeanors, as far as I know. Right. And if he's not looking at jail time or any, any long jail time, then the cold, hard calculation for the Raiders would be, okay, this guy's going to deal with his, his legal stuff. He'll pay society, he's not going to go to jail, or at least not for any length that will affect what he's doing with us. And then they have an absolute game wrecker on the interior defensive line, which the Raiders need. The Raiders game wrecker, they could use someone that could, that could you know, blow a hot breath on a mirror. You know, they need to stop the run. They need more interior pressure from that defensive front. And Carter is one of those guys that has the talent to be taken in the top three picks. And if this legal situation drops him to number seven, then the Raiders would have to decide if they are willing to take the risk that the legal situation will be relatively minor for Carter, even though the association is ugly, even though drag racing at all, even if nobody was hurt, in my opinion, is a horrifically bad thing to do because of the the potential for somebody to be struck and killed. Forget the people that you're, don't forget, including the people that you are drag racing with, but also people that are just driving home from Waffle House at two in the morning that might get caught up in it, right? So I'm not in any way suggesting that because they're misdemeanors, that the decision to drag race, if that is in fact what happened, is in any way diminished. That is 
an incredibly dangerous thing to do that can lead to death of innocent people, right? And especially with the Raiders, because their their receiver from Alabama, what happened to him um, when he crashed his Corvette uh, a couple of years ago, and you know I think he's going to be in prison for a while for that. That was a terrible, tragic thing. Well, that's if why the Raiders that's... decide to get past that. And if they see that the information was that Carter made a bad decision, but he's not a bad guy, he doesn't do this a lot, and uh, and they can live with that, then that is an intriguing pick for them. And here's the thing, though. That and the Henry Rugg situation is still fresh on everyone's mind here in Las Vegas. And now if you're going to select a guy like that in the same type of scenario, drag racing, leading to to killing someone. I, I, I think that that's such a slippery slope, that a PR disaster that you don't want to touch that. And I get it. It's like, oh, he could be a game wrecker. He could be a game changer. We get that. But, hey, we've heard that before. We've seen college game wreckers and game changers not uh, that have a – a clean history, a clean slate that haven't amounted to anything in the NFL. So I think, you know, for the Raiders, you got to be very, very careful uh, about even contemplating selecting a guy like Jalen Carter, because that story is, is horrible. And, and to me, Trevor, I don't understand how you kill two people and you're going to be charged with misdemeanors. I mean, that's, well, he didn't kill I know, I know, but he was, a, he was involved in the situation where, you know, uh, you know, it, it, in the area or whatever you want to say. So I don't know. It's just, it's, yeah, but had it not been for rugs though, had that not happened, would you consider Carter? Possibly. I would need to do a great, uh, character check on him. Have, you know, he needs to sit down with the Raiders brass and they need to do a deep dive into, into him and really scrub everything away and see what kind of guy this, this, this kid is. You know what I'm saying? You know, are you remorseful? Have you, you know, can any of this happen? I mean, again, uh, we've seen it with these kids who, you know, come from smaller communities, uh, you know, down in the South. They come here to Las Vegas. They can't handle it. I mean, again, you know, Ruggs is the only one. I mean, we've seen, you know, several, several others, uh, exact same situation that come out here and, you know, Damon Arnett. I mean, he's, he's, he's wielding a gun, you know, at, uh, at valet people and doing all kinds of other nonsense. We see guys going to clubs and falling asleep at the wheel afterwards. I mean, it's just, you know, a lot of these guys, they think it's Disneyland over here and they don't get it. Uh, so. Very careful. I think mean, you got to just do a, a deep dive character check into these guys. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. Uh, I, you're right about that. That's why I say it's an intriguing thing because if that deep dive character check turns out that he made a mistake in the euphoria of winning that second national championship and, and he did a stupid thing, um, but his role in the stupid thing, you know, didn't rise to the level of killing those people, this is what they would have to decide. Some NFL team is going to have to decide that, yep. no matter where they're taken. Right. You know, I, I, there, some NFL team is going to have to decide that because if, if you know, but if that character check comes back that this was a one-time thing that ended up being part of a horrific result, then he would be an intriguing player the farther down he falls in the draft. And that's all I'm saying. Because right. you know me, I mean, I don't even drink, right? So I'm not. I, I'm never one to excuse bad behavior. But at the same time, I think that we need to take bad behavior as either a, a one-off or 
as a character trait, and there are one-offs that disqualify you. You could be the best dude in the world, and you could do a one-off bad mistake that disqualifies you from everything. But that's what any team that drafts Jalen Carter will need to decide. What is this from his perspective? All right, two more things I want to hit uh, with you real quick before we let you go. Derek Carr signs with the Saints for your deal, $150 million, $100 million guaranteed. Uh, what does this mean for Carr? What does this mean for the Saints? You mentioned Taysom Hill a little bit earlier. We know that uh, you know he is still there. Uh, Jameis Winston will probably be let go. Andy Dalton started 14 games. A lot of people forget that. Andy Dalton started 14 games uh, for the Saints last year. He's a free agent, so he's not going to be around. What do you think of Carr and the Saints? For Carr, it's phenomenal. I mean, for Carr, he went through a – he's an emotional guy. Raiders fans have seen him in local press conferences there, you know, wear his heart on his sleeve, come to tears at times. And for him to go through what he went through being released, whether or not he should have been is not really relevant. I'm talking about for the individual to then be wanted to the degree that he signs a $160 million contract. Um, that's a, that's almost whiplash. And so I'm very happy for Derek Carr. Is he a guy that could take the Saints to the promised land? I don't know. He never took the Raiders to the promised land. Uh, but then again, the Raiders, you know, didn't, didn't, support him as well as I think he would have wanted to have been supported. So he'll have a chance to start over again, and we will know about Derek Carr coming up pretty quickly. The thing is, though, for the Saints, I think it's a it's a bit of a stretch to make that big of a commitment to him. But I think the Saints were worried that they were in a quarterback wasteland, and they were. When Drew Brees left, now you got Jameis Winston, uh, you know, Taysom Hill, not that guy. Andy Dalton, serviceable backup, serviceable guy, not a promised land kind of guy. And they don't even know if they're in a coaching wasteland. I mean, Sean Payton's gone, and, you know, with the quarterback problems and other problems, they don't even know uh, whether they'll be able to, to overcome that loss. And so the Saints, to hit their wagon to the degree of $160 million, uh, I would want to see the, the details of the contract. Do you know how much of that's guaranteed? Yeah, sixty million uh, fully guaranteed at signing, and another ten million uh, into when he starts year three of the deal. So yeah, he can earn sixty million the first two years of the deal. So yeah, that's that's not that's not prohibitive. So so for the Saints, it's it's not as bad as I thought it was then, because that's not a whole lot of guaranteed money when you when you're talking about quarterbacks. So, yeah. uh, but we'll see. You know, they hope they're out of the quarterback wasteland. We'll we'll see if they are. The Raiders felt they were in the quarterback wasteland with Derek Carr. All right. Lamar Jackson, uh, again, didn't want to be tagged, going to get, get tagged, non-exclusive exclusive tag, which means he can negotiate with any NFL team right now. Uh, Lamar Jackson doesn't have an agent, doesn't want an agent, wants to handle it himself. I don't know. Uh, what do you think of, of Lamar Jackson moving forward? Um, where does he go? What does he do? Uh, is this the right move for the Ravens? The Ravens are saying, hey, we want to move forward with him. He's our guy. We'd like to do a long-term deal. But, I mean, is this just for show, Trevor, or do they really want this guy or not? Well, I think they want him, but obviously price matters. I mean, when you look at context, MVP, what was it, four years ago, Lamar Jackson was in the NFL? Yeah. Uh, but from a standpoint of receiver and running backs because of injury and other issues, they, they've not surrounded him with, with the talent that they need to, and he's fallen off. He's only appeared in 12 games each of the last two seasons, so he's been injured, especially down the stretch this last year when they needed him most. 
And there's a real problem with that. Lamar Jackson thinks that that's just sort of a one-off and he should get paid. But from a standpoint of the of the Ravens, look at it this way. When Lamar Jackson first came into the league, he was so shifty that it was hard to hit him fast. Or excuse me, hit him hard. You had to slow down because if you came in like a locomotive, he was just going to juke you and leave you in the dirt while he's running down the field. Compare that to a guy like RG3, for example, when he was playing a few years ago. RG3 had Olympic caliber speed in a straight line, but he wasn't very shifty. So if you could catch him, you could hit him hard. Well, all of a sudden now Lamar Jackson is getting hit harder. Physically, he's being attrited. So if you're the if you're the Ravens and you don't think he's worth the guarantees he's looking for, and apparently he wants full guarantee like Deshaun Watson, right? In, in Cleveland, that's going to wreck a lot of negotiations. If you're, if you're the Ravens, then the best thing you can do is put this tag on him that allows him to negotiate with other teams and gives the Ravens the chance to match any offers. And if he goes, they get two first-round draft choices if they don't want to match the offer. That will tell Lamar Jackson what his market value really is, and it will give two first-rounders to the Ravens if he ends up leaving. My opinion is that Lamar's better tread lightly here. You know, he's worth a lot of money. But if he starts asking for too much, he's going to find himself in a situation where he, he's, he's not going to get what he wants and he's going to end up incredibly disappointed. All right. Chev, appreciate the time as always. Uh, my friend, we'll keep an eye on uh, things in the NFL side, the college football side. Uh, enjoy the rest of your offseason, my friend, and uh, have yourself a, a fantastic week. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks, TC. All right, brother. There you go. Trevor Match, the best. Simply the best. No doubt about it. Just fantastic. Uh, what, uh, what he brings to the table, uh, with that knowledge. And again, 15 time Emmy Award winner. Does a great job with ESPN on the college football side. And of course, played 12 years in the NFL as well.